We are back for another edition of the Fight HQ Preview. This time we're here for UFC Charlotte. We appreciate everyone tuning in here to our show here this week. And uh, me and Pete have been sitting here for about 30 minutes. We got to make sure Pete's audio is all good. We are all good on that front, Pete. Yes, sir. Thank goodness. And thank you guys so much for your understanding last week and uh, bearing with us. Um, we still had a, a, a large turnout. A lot of you guys still found ways to listen to the show, put it on two times speed, whatever you did. Talk to us through Discord. We really appreciate it. And uh, it was a really successful week for everybody, a part of our community. Yeah, man. I was, uh, so I was at a college graduation last week. And uh, so I'm kind of like, I'm monitoring. Then once, uh, you know, unfortunately, like, even though I knew it was total boom bust play last week, Pete, on Braxton Smith, I, I was like, and then I'm, I'm following on Twitter and I'm like, see, he's seeing the tweets of, well, he's gassed out 75 seconds into the fight. I'm like, oh, man, this ain't going to be good. Yeah, I mean, I don't regret it because it's just like heavyweight MMA. Um, and thankfully, I had plenty of frivola to kind of climb me back up the rankings. Um, and that's where a ton of chalk of everybody getting to Drew Dober, thinking that he was just a clear round one KO finish um, at that price point. And uh, that was a great fight. And, you know, frivola ended up, you know, capitalizing on Drew Dober, you know, dropping his hands. So. When you you are wrong on one fight, doesn't mean you're done. And uh, when a, a ton of that chalk failed with Drew Dober, I climbed the ranks because of my exposure to Frivola, and super thankful for that. But all in all, it was a great week. Yeah, uh, give a congratulations to GF Kiefer, who took down first place in the Fight HQ contest last week, and he had a losing fighter in his lineup. That was Henry Cejudo. Uh, the rest of his lineup, Jan Janan, uh, Evalev, Jordan, Frivola, and Kenny Njeku. Uh, Matt Frivola, man, that's one, that that was one of the ones that I just did not see coming. Guy give a lot of kudos uh, to him. I was, I was listening to Ray Longo talking about for Vola earlier this week and, you know, kind of talking about, you know, really how they've turned things around since, you know, that seven second knockout to Terrence mm-hmm. McKinney, what he did there. Of course, if you want to join the Fight HQ contest for this week, it is in the description below. If you haven't watched us on YouTube, we appreciate it. Of course, uh, be sure uh, to hit that thumbs up button. That does truly help us out a lot. Of course, if you're not subscribed to the channel, be sure to subscribe to the channel. Of course, if you're listening to us on the podcasting platforms after the fact, rate, review, subscribe, all of that. And, uh, you know, Pete, as we move ahead to UFC Charlotte, we'll talk a little game theory here. We're doing some fights. We're doing some fights. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the way to put it, right? Like it's uh the cards start to to go downhill from from a pay per view, and the pay per view last week I I didn't necessarily think it was pay per view quality. I thought it was solid, um, but I don't know. I mean, just the the quality of cards. There's more cards, so there's going to be some stinkers in there, some surprise fights. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's there's some intriguing names on the card. But uh, for the most part, not the most uh, notorious names throughout. Yeah, you know, as I was kind of you know going through the salaries uh, over the past day or so, I mean, you know, the one thing that I think really stuck out of me, and you were talking about this before the show, is that just that finding underdogs this week. That is going to be the tough thing. I mean, you know, you can look at some of these 9,000 options and, and look at the fancy score upside they have. I mean, the two that stick out to you are both are heavyweights uh, of Jolton Almeida and the other one being Carl Williams. You know, and obviously this is a, a car where I'm really looking at ownership and I want to see kind of how ownership's going. Right now, The I Cody Stamen's got the leverage. I don't know how long that's going to last, but like 
he's the one guy that I look at just he's going to be if this ownership sticks what he's sticking at of course if you want to take advantage of the ownership click that link there below to take advantage of that offer we have for you but Cody Stamen to me is the one that sticks out the most and, and it's just primarily an ownership play and with the asterisk saying that he does uh, utilize wrestling yeah I want to see the update in ownership um and I'm pretty disappointed that we lost my underdog of the week in uh, Pete Rodriguez um it was at that really cheap price point where i was able to get to a lot of fighters and i I liked his ko upside over a guy in the time levy who has good takedowns great head kicks but kind of underwhelms in almost all of his fights so i was hoping that we were going to get a 7100 fighter coming through for us now we have to kind of navigate throughout and uh, as you mentioned the underdogs i'm not in love with a lot of them there's two of them that i am you know, planting my flag on as, as who I do think get victories outside of that. I think it's going to be some mixing and matching and making sure I'm sprinkling certain exposures and getting to fighters that I don't even really feel comfortable about, but more so based on the volatility within their division, the volatility within accepting fights on short notice and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, in the mid range, mid range is often overlooked, and when you can take advantage of a situation where everybody's either going high and low, uh, stars and scrubs approach, you can get to an 8,500 Cody Stamen who has some sneaky upside despite his uh, lackluster track record. So we'll see. I'll, I'll get to him plenty, but can't, can't wait to break down these matches with you. Yeah, I mean, roster building is going to be uh, an interesting one this week. I mean, I, we're going, we're going to, when we talk about the Ian Gary and Daniel Rodriguez fight, I'm going to explain kind of the differences to me in that fight. We're talking GPP versus cash. I mean, I don't even know if that, that fight is going to be a GPP fight this week just because of how I see this one going down. But let's get right into our main event, heavyweight matchup here. we got Jolton Almeida taking on Jarzinho Rosenstroke. Jolton Almeida is a 5-1 to one betting favorite in this one, plus 375 for Jarzinho Rosenstruck. And, of course, uh, looking at the DFS side of the equation, 9,600 for Almeida on DK, 6,600 for Rosenstruck, 23 and 20. 12 over there on FanDuel. Um, I mean, Pete, I mean, look, we we all know the hype that is out there for Jolton Almeida, and it is all warranted. I mean, this guy has, I, I think, ceiling is UFC champion, but, man, this is a big price tag we got to pay. Massive price tag, but I, I think it's completely warranted against the guy in Jairzinho Rosenstrike who can defend takedowns, um, but when he's taken down, it looks ugly. Uh, Jolton Almeida... His strength of schedule thus far wins over Danilo Marquez, Parker Porter, Anton Tukali, and Shamil Abdurahimov. All finishes inside of two rounds. So extremely impressive. But those names are not the same type of names, um, not the same type of level of fighter that Jerzino Rosenstrike is. Rosenstrike can actually make people a little gun shy because of his KO ability. We've seen him knock people down uh, with a jab. We've seen that happen against Alan Crowder. Uh, certain fighters run into to shots, and it, it literally takes a glancing shot from Jairzinho Rosenstrike to pick up a victory, wobble you on the feet. Um, if for some reason he's able to defend some takedowns uh, and not get ground and pounded out or submitted, I think that there is some some interest as a complete dart throw for Jairzinho Rosenstrike. Like if I'm in a 20 max, I'm going to get to him just because I don't think many people are. Um but the style of Jalton uh, Almeida is what makes him a very safe play because he can take you down and he's not reliant on his submissions. He will utilize ground and pound, unlike a lot of Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners. Um, 
if his ground and pound's not working, the ground and pound will set up a submission. It's tough to say that he's not going to gas out if it goes the distance. Uh, obviously, it's a five round five round bout, but it's heavyweight MMA. I don't know which heavyweight is not going to gas out if it you know extends up beyond fifteen minutes. So uh, there's nothing to show me that he's going to gas out here. Um, Ninety six hundred, one of my favorite plays on the slate. Sprinkling some Jairzinho Rosenstrike exposure. He was able to defend some takedowns against Sorogan. Um, that did go 25 minutes. Sorogan uh, was unsuccessful in 12 of his takedown attempts. Doesn't have the same type of grappling pedigree that Jalton Almeida has. But it's just something to note. Jairzinho trains at American Top Team. Um, surrounded by fantastic heavyweights and light heavyweights. Steve Mako is going to have his wrestling prepared for the most part. But if he does get taken down once, that might be all she wrote. So, uh, Jelton Almeida, 9,600. Let's just hope if he wins, it's not too quickly. You mentioned Steve Mako's name, and I feel like when we talk about American Top Team, he's the coach that does not get enough credit for what he does. Because I can tell you, as someone who has interviewed a ton of ATT fighters, they all talk about Steve Mako. When they talk about wrestling, and you, you see them light up when they talk about Steve Mako and they'll tell you, they'll go, look, those training sessions suck. <laughs> they'll oh, yeah. go, there is nothing, but like, like just as you were kind of talking, it just, something that just popped in my head. Um, you know, looking over the betting side of the equation here, I mean, look, I, I wouldn't want to touch the, uh, unless you're looking for parlay pieces uh, of taking that five to one, Jolton Almeida, I get that. But like looking at some of these props over here, like, you know, I mean, maybe if you think Jolton takes him down and maybe he doesn't get the submission, it's a TKO. Plus one seventy five. I mean, you, you got to be looking at these these either win by TKOKO or, or win by submission for Jolton Almeida. I mean, look if you, if you're looking to place a, a, a Rosenstruck, I would. Ra- I mean, I understand chasing the the coin here that plus four seventy five win by TKOKO, but at that point, I I would just take the plus three seventy five. Right, exactly. Because who knows? Maybe Jolton just completely gasses, and uh, you know, Jolton is is sitting there scared. You know, we've seen Rosenstreich in some strange contests where it's just like a staring contest at times. And um, his low volume is what makes this almost like an automatic play to play Jalton Almeida. Um, He just has that death touch. But I will say as far as like game strategy and how I like to think now that I'm I'm more so hand building now and I've been super successful doing that because if I'm going into a 150 max, I, I don't recommend hand building at all that's going to take too too much time (laughs) and you probably have duplicates but in a 20 max i think like i do much better when i can hand build and i know how i'm going to make my lineups um you know and, and when you do something like that i think it's important to view what the public thinks is an automatic win what which fighter is everybody just completely too bullish on um you know, and, and last week it was Drew Dober, right? Like, and it happens mm-hmm. to work out like that, where everybody just automatically not considering the opposite fighter. Get to that opposite fighter a little bit. Jerzyna Rosenstrike is going to be super low owned. He's one of the best heavyweights out there. Jelton, this is a test, but I think that Jelton passes with flying colors. But make sure you don't just completely cross off somebody. Look, I love that that Haymaker contest twenty max. And when I woke yeah. up Sunday morning, I go. Oh, oh, I recognize that guy coming in third place. And only what, five points away from uh, taking it down? Yeah, I I think it was like three or something like that. But it was a good week. Um, Yeah, I I had 
I had one lineup going into the main event, co-main event that wow. was all of them had a hundred plus points. Unfortunately, I had the losers in both the uh, you know, ah. but but that but I will say this while you're talking about hand building, for the most part, uh, in a twenty max, I am I'm using Fancy Cruncher of, of going right. in there and and whatever maybe maybe there's another optimizer someone likes to use. Uh, but what I found myself last Saturday, I'm sitting in my Airbnb and and I I probably ran thirty crunches trying my Airbnb. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, uh, bro, I was out. I, I felt like I was up in Connecticut with you. I mean, we, this place is in the woods because for FSU graduation, unless you want to spend about a thousand dollars a night for a hotel room, you got to find Airbnb. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, we we had to find something. But it it was one of those things of like, and it's the challenges when we're talking about building lineups with a, a yeah. you know some, something you know an optimizer like Fancy Cruncher. Of there was just I was. There were certain fires I was like, God, I just I was getting way too much go of burns. Mm -hmm. And then I just felt I was not getting enough of the Parker Porter and Braxton Smith fight. I mean, I was getting like 15, 20% on, on each guy. And I was like, God, I need more. I need more. And then and that's where you start putting in groups and you know, and so and I start to overthink it. Yeah. You know, and sometimes overthinking can really be a bad thing in DFS. 100%. Sometimes you just got to kind of, you, you got to, you got to go in there, go with your projections, you know, but there's, there are certain fights. And I mean, this will be, this is a, a card that I'll tell you, like the Kim and bomb fight, 10% exposure. Ooh. Okay. I mean, I'd be more than that. I, I, I would, I would tell you this, like uh, Manny bomb will might be X'd out. <laughs> <laughs> Women's but, MMA, you can't X out the underdog, bro. What are you doing? Um, but I hear what you're saying. I hear what oh, you're saying. And for me, like when I'm when I'm hand building, right? How I do it to make sure that I'm just not entering the same lineups and all that. I go to like the the highest paid contest and I hand build and try to enter it when I don't have that balance or whatnot. Then when I exit out, I say, okay, I got 13 lineups, even though I in my head I entered mm -hmm. 20 of them. And then I can really start to figure out the last seven, how I can get different. And uh, yeah, it's it's been working out really well for me doing it. This is, this is how I used to do it back in the day. And when I was doing it like this, I was killing it. And then I got into the 150s and I like the 150s because they're fun, the biggest money and everything. But if you can take your intelligence and everything and compress it into 20 good lineups, most people playing MMA DFS have no damn clue what the hell they're doing. So it, that's that's where you can just outsmart a lot of people. Whereas in a 150, you got to beat the brains, which is a kind of it, it's kind of tough at times. It, it, yeah, that that's a hard thing. Like, you know, it, when you're playing in those type of contests, you you just have to understand who you're going up against. Right. I mean, I mean, let's be honest about it. We're, if we're talking about 150 max, I mean, anywhere from 30 to 40 people are probably max entering it you know and then At you know but for me like in those contests where if i'm just gonna like throw a couple you know flyers in there i just i get super aggressive on those you have to you know you, you just you can't go in there with that chalk lineup because otherwise you know you gotta you know and that's what i think makes this saturday slate very difficult is just because i just don't love a lot of underdogs now i think a fight that is could be very intriguing for DFS is the co-main event of Johnny Walker and Anthony Smith straight up pick them fight here minus one ten on both sides Johnny Walker a two hundred Anthony Smith is eight thousand Fanduel sixteen and fifteen dollars respectively and uh, you know 
part of my thought with Anthony Smith here, and I'll get your take on this, Pete, is kind of you know returning uh, from injury from last year, and you know we saw him as a backup fire earlier this year, and he just did not look good on the scale. I don't know what's going on with Anthony Smith and his weigh-ins. I I, I don't think that he has the same type of uh, body composition that he used to. Clearly, he's, he's aging, um, but I used to think that he was somewhat shredded, and um, you know he, he could be prioritizing certain things within his training, um, maybe laying off of certain strength and conditioning factors. But I have to tell you, like Anthony Smith also hasn't looked good. Uh, the Ryan Spann fight, he surprised me, but the, the Ankalaev fight, that's a tough fight for anybody. But just in general, this is a volatile fight to target. And last week, I didn't care how the main event went because I had the same exact lineup with Aljamain Sterling and I had the same exact lineup with Henry Cejudo. I would recommend basically doing the same thing this week. I don't care who wins this fight. Johnny Walker, Anthony Smith, 8,200, 8,000 respectively. I can make an argument for either one of them, right? Johnny Walker probably has the higher upside because of his ridiculous uh, aggressiveness. He's very reckless at times, and that can be worked against him because he can run into shots. Anthony Smith talked about it. We've seen Johnny Walker get KO'd so terribly before. So much damage on that brain that, you know, Anthony Smith could hit him with a jab and wobble him and then follow up. Um, but... I think as far as upside aggressiveness and kind of just like form right right at the moment, I, I think that Johnny Walker has more momentum behind him. It's a winnable fight for Anthony Smith all day long, but the lean is to Johnny Walker. As far as exposure, I'm getting to more Johnny Walker than Anthony Smith, but make sure that you're not like too aggressive because at the end of the day, it's a pick em fight and they're both unreliable. So I do view this fight as a GPP priority though. I, I can't sit, I can't see where they both sit back and this goes 15 minutes. I think somebody's getting finished. It's going to be violent and I'm going to be I'm going to be leaning towards Johnny Walker getting his hand raised. Yeah, I'm leaning towards Johnny Walker as well. And I was just kind of, you know, looking at the MVP ownership projections right now on Johnny Walker. I think that's when well, you're talking about getting away from the chalk uh, of Jolton Almeida, Carl Williams, Carlos Olberg. John, you know, Johnny Walker could be a guy you look at it. And Anthony Smith, I, I kind of you know, I do wonder, and I heard someone else bring this thought process up, and they, they were talking about these these fighters who are still competing but are also working as commentators for the UFC of kind of, you know, wondering, you know, kind of what's going on there. But, um, you know, obviously the longer this fight goes, I do think it favors Anthony Smith. Yeah, I mean, I, I can counter that point. And, like, just because you're a commentator doesn't mean, like, that's going to affect you fighting. Um just because you train fighters does not mean that's going to affect you fighting is, you know, we, we, some of the best fighters back in the day and even today, you know, on their way up are working nine to fives and getting out of work and then training like crazy. It's all how bad you want to train before, you know, but before they go into work, after they go into work, you know, balancing that family lifestyle. And I actually think that having a job or a career within the field that you're practicing and performing in. So like you, you're being a commentator or a coach within MMA where you're still competing. I think that holds more merit and value than if you picked up a construction side gig or something like that, at least you're involved in the sport every single day. So, I mean, I, I don't necessarily agree with that at all. Um, it does kind of seem like it's like a commentator curse though. Once that starts being presented to them, uh, that, you know, they could be on their way out. But I think that Anthony Smith has probably has as many fights left as he wants. So, 
Now, looking at the betting side of this one, we mentioned about the straight-up money line being a pick here. But if you don't you want to look at it, I would be looking at this inside the distance. I mean, I understand you maybe yeah. get a little bit more value here, um, you know, particularly on the Anthony Smith side of the equation. But I'd be kind of looking at that inside the distance, plus 135 on Johnny Walker, uh, plus 145 on, on Anthony Smith. But, I mean, look, if you want to lay a prop bet on Anthony Smith, you know, if you, you feel comfortable whether it's TKO, KO, or submission, you do get a, a better juice there. Yeah, I think somebody's getting knocked out. I just do. Um, you know, we, we've seen Anthony Smith pull off some sneaky submissions, um, but everything Johnny Walker volatility is considered is all about his chin. So his best way to beat somebody is by throwing knees, elbows, vicious punches, hammer fists, all of that. And the best way to counter Johnny Walker is to, by testing that chin. So I would probably target that fight as whereas the method of victory is just one via KO, TKO. That's how I'm predicting it to go um, with the lean towards Johnny Walker. Yeah, that, that's kind of the way that I'm looking at in terms of that one. By the way, I uh, did see a little clip on social media. Apparently, Dominic Cruz talked about uh, last weekend that he's actually changing up his fighting style because of the judging criteria. Interesting. I'll believe it when I see it, but I don't know how to <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. Uh, so we over next one. I know this is going to be when we talk about underdogs. I think the popular underdog of the week this week is going to be Daniel Rodriguez taking on Ian Gary. Ian Gary is a three to one betting favorite, plus two forty for Daniel Rodriguez. Gary is nine thousand on DK, twenty dollars on Fanduel, and Rodriguez is seventy two hundred on DK. $10 on Fanduel. You know, I mentioned about earlier. There's a, a GPB versus cash discussion here. As a cash game play, I don't mind Daniel Rodriguez. Um, I don't think this, but this is a fight that I don't know if I'll get a ton to in GPPs, Pete. I'm going to get to it just because I, I think that the volume of both fighters might bring out the best of each other. Um, Ian Gary could be viewed a little low because he was dropped by Song Kanan badly and almost finished. I believe it was in the first round and uh, rallied back. Might have been in the second, but he rallied back and ended up picking up a beautiful KO over Song Kanan in the third round. And uh, up until that point, it really looked bad for, for Ian Gary. He was doing fine, and then uh, he just it, – it was moments from being taken away from him. So I, I do think that there is some concern about Gary's chin to a point, and I do think that somebody is going to expose him in a way. I think he's really good, though. Like, I really think that this kid is excellent. I've watched sparring footage, and I know it's – it's sparring, but I, I've seen him sparring the likes of Shakat Rachmanov and like picking apart Rachmanov. I know it's just sparring, but I, I the skills are there for this kid. Um, Daniel Rodriguez did not look good in his previous bout against Neil Magny, but in every single fight, he is a gamer. He possesses a ton of volume, so he will throw with he'll throw a ton. Um, and then he has some solid jujitsu, but I almost think it's like. I almost think it's overrated to a point because he was completely exposed against Neil Neil Magny, but Magny's reach makes everybody, you know, just flustered. So now you have Ian Gary, who was knocked down, but ultimately won against Song Kanan, against Daniel Rodriguez, looking to pick himself back up after a not an embarrassing defeat to Neil Magny, but a pretty decisive one. So I'm going to be going with Ian Gary, and I think he's just on the outside going to pick Daniel Rodriguez apart. As far as underdogs, it's pretty obvious that Daniel Rodriguez might be one of the most popular underdogs given his cheap salary, given his high volume, given the slight concern surrounding Ian Gary's chin from the last performance, 
And, um, you know, he is 7-2 and two in the UFC, whereas Ian Gary is only 4-0. Rodriguez has beaten the likes of Tim Means in his debut, Gabe Green, Dwight Grant, lost to Nicholas Dalby, went over Mike Perry, Preston Parsons, Kevin Lee, and uh, uh, Li Jing Liang, who I, I thought he lost to. So uh, some pretty high-profile names. Ian Gary hasn't done so. Just Song Kanan, Gabriel Green, uh, Darian Weeks, and Jordan Williams. But I think this is going to be a uh, a nice name to add to Ian Gary's resume. So I think that at nine thousand, he could be one of those guys that throws with ton of, ton of volume and might surprise some people from the uh, DFS score. Yeah, my my concern is about going fifteen minutes and and whether or not you can be optimal at nine thousand without. Yeah. You know, say there's no takedowns, no knockdowns. Can you be optimal with that price tag? On the betting side, I really do like Ian Gary win by decision, plus 135. That's probably the prop bet uh, that, that sticks out to me the most. I mean, I mean, look, if you want to take Daniel Rodriguez, I would just take the plus 240. But if you want to chase some money, Rodriguez via decision, plus 500 is one. But I would just, my recommendation is if you like Daniel Rodriguez, just take the plus 240. Yeah, I like Ian Gary, but I, I think the public is just going to be desperate for an underdog. And I lost my guy, Pete Rodriguez, this week, who I thought was going to come through. So natural pivot, go to a guy that has a, a pretty impressive resume in the UFC, and that's that's going to be Daniel Rodriguez for a lot of people. Next up, we got a matchup of another 9,000 fire. That's Olberg, who's 9,300, a minus 420 betting favorite, taking on Eeyore here, who's 6,900. He's a plus 330 betting underdog. And I think uh, what she, the thing that, that sticks out to me about Pateria here is, you know, you look at that fight against Shogun, I think we all kind of saw what that was. But also, I kind of do wonder maybe is the UFC maybe um, putting him as a B side of the fight because of his post fight actions? Oh, you think so? Um, well, I will tell you that this is an intriguing striking matchup. Um, one where I think Carlos Olberg clearly is the more technical striker over Ihor Poteria. Um, the one thing that you can fluster the young Ihor Poteria by doing is by pressing him like uh, Nikolai did, but also uh, incorporating takedowns. So basically just keeping him on his back foot will exhaust him. Um, this is a stylistically tailored made matchup for both fighters. They both should be in striking matchups. We saw what Ihor was able to do against Shogun Hua. Granted, it's Shogun Hua in his final fight. He did not look good. Um, Carlos Olberg is a fantastic striker. Um, we saw him piece of, you know pick apart Kennedy and Chukwu, but ultimately was fatigued. And then when the tide was turned, he got hit with some big, big damaging shots and was knocked out in the second round against Kennedy and Chukwu. That loss has really uh, aged well because Kennedy looks like a an actual force within the division. He's a massive, massive man. Rebounding off of that uh, after after that defeat, going against Fabio Charant, I thought it was a really tough fight for Fabio, especially if it was just on the feet. And walking away with just a decision there, was a little surprising, and it was more so because he was just so patient. Perhaps it was just a safe performance, but he followed that up with a knockout over Tafan and Chukwi, and then a first-round knockout over uh, Nikolai. So with all that being said, that's a long-winded way of saying, I'm going to get to both sides of this fight. I do think that Carlos Olberg is the clear A-side. He has the more technical skills, um, but he does invite a brawl by keeping his hands low. He's able to hit you with funky angles, 
like a nice check hook, angled angled shots because his hands are low and his opponents don't see it. But that comes at a cost too, especially if somebody's just going to capitalize and counter you. Um, you can get dropped by lesser shots than something that Ihor is going to throw. So Ihor Potaria uh, at 6,900 is going to be a guy I'm not crossing off. I think from a, from a technicality standpoint, he's going to be behind Carlos Olberg, but he does have that one-shot capability because of Olberg's uh, hand placement. So uh, I'm going to be going with Carlos Olberg, but I like this fight. I think it's a nice little fight to target. Yeah, I mean, it, it, to me, GPPs and like we've kind yeah. of mentioned a couple times before in the show of you know trying to find those underdogs that uh, we got to try to find because it, this is going to be a tough underdog week. Next up, we got Alex Morone taking on Tim Means. Kind of uh, you know you talk about OGs of the sport. Tim Means definitely an OG of this sport. He is a plus one eighty betting underdogs. Alex Morono minus two twenty. Morono eighty eight hundred on DK eighteen dollars on Fanduel. Means seventy four hundred DK thirteen dollars on Fanduel. Pete. You know what's crazy is if uh, that third round didn't exist for Alex Morono against Santiago Ponzinibbio, he would be on a one, two, three, four, five-fight win streak because he looked damn good against Santiago Ponzinibbio early. And uh, Morono has somewhat surprised me because this is the same guy that got dismantled against Anthony Pettis. And we know what we all value Pettis at within 2022. Um, That was back in 2020. And – even more so, we've seen just the decline of Anthony Pettis, who's now boxing and everything, but he took a short notice fight against Donald Cerrone, then picked up a win over David Zavada, Mickey Gall, Matthew Semmelsberger. That fight against Matthew Semmelsberger means a lot, right? Like Semmelsberger is solid, um, especially on the feet. So I think that Tim Means, the older veteran here, 14-11-1 inside the UFC's octagon, I think, I think Tim Means is going to get finished here, Jason. And I think there's multiple ways he can get finished. Uh, Morono, for the most part, you go and you look and dive, dive into his career inside the UFC. There are some finishes scattered, but a lot of decisions. The way that Tim Means absorbs shots nowadays and how uh, desperate he is to engage in a grappling contest makes me think that Morono is going to have his way here. I think from a stature standpoint, it surprises me that Morono is a welterweight. Um but Tim, because Tim Means is so damn long for the division. But at 7,400, there was a point when Means was very aggressive on the feet. He could hit you with high volume. Uh, he was beating up Nico Price, and then Nico Price landed that one shot. And ever since that, it's kind of been like uh, a s- slow decline for Tim Means. And, you know, rightfully so. He's been around for a long time. But I'm going to pick an Alex Morono here. If it goes the distance, this could be a high volume striking affair where. The underdog could possibly steal it, but I think it's it's even smarter to get to Morono a little bit more than, than what the public's probably going to do, just because I think he has multiple paths to victory here, and I think he might find a sneaky uh, sneaky finish here at 8,800. Yeah, I had mentioned to Pete right before the show, I was talking about you know sneaky prop bets. I was looking at that Alex Morono wins via submission plus 650. That's kind of a, a little bit of an under-the-radar prop bet. We'll see what plays out in terms of that one. Now, when we talk about OGs of the sport, I remember being in the building when Court McGee won the ultimate fighter, and that just okay. being a, an emotional night there. Of course, he has taken on Matt Brown. Court McGee, a minus 220 betting favorite, plus 180. For Matt Brown, uh, Court McGee, a 700 DK, $18 on FanDuel. Brown, 7500 on DK, $13 on FanDuel, Pete. 
Yeah, I like this fight, right? Like, I, I like it from a, um, a viewing aspect as a fan. For DFS, not really sure. Um, I think it's pretty clear. Court McGee's good at winning decisions. And, um, you know, he can surprise a lot of people just by being there and being tough. Um, if he imp- implements his wrestling, he's a completely different fighter. So I'm going to be getting to Court McGee because of the high takedown attempts that he does have, even against a pro, uh, prolific uh, grappler and Ramiz Brahimai. He attempted 11 takedowns and landed five of them. Um, he attempted a long time ago uh, against Dominique Steele, 15 attempts, uh, six attempts scattered throughout, 11 attempts against Sean Strickland. So, like, I like that. And I just like this fight in general. Um, I, I do think that Matt Brown can get taken down but he can punish you if you are unsuccessful with your takedown. So uh, I'm going to be going with Matt Brown here. I I think the Brian Barbarena performance is really like sticking out to me. And I know that's just a stand-up scrap, but I do think that Matt Brown showcasing, he can go to the takedowns as well. Getting five of seven is interesting. Uh, Throwing 129 significant strikes, scoring 69 fantasy points in a loss. Okay, so that would have been 99 if, if he ended up getting that uh, second judge to award him um, the decision because it was a split decision defeat. So I, I like Matt Brown here as an underdog, and not a week where I'm in love with a lot of underdogs, but I'm going to take a shot that Matt Brown could test the chin of Court McGee, who's coming off a devastating knockout defeat to Jeremiah Wells back in uh, June. So last June, almost a year away. So I'm happy he took time off, but. I'm going to be leaning towards Matt Brown here to just be a little bit more violent, even though he is, uh, you know, pretty damn old for, for the division. You know, my thing is, and it's a term that you hear fighters, and I'm sure you you talk about this on the daily inside of your gym there, is blending everything together. Oh, yeah. And I feel like if Court McGee can blend everything together, that to me is is his clear path in this one. But I, I've got no issues with things you said there. I mean, McGee's going to be my pick, but I, I get where you're coming from. Well, I'll tell you what, what from, a, from a coaching standpoint, right? Let's say my guy just got knocked out. The last damn thing I'm going to say is let's kickbox with Matt Brown. So, like, yeah. what we're going to do, though, is because we know Matt Brown's expecting the takedown, we are actually going to plant a little seed in Matt Brown's head that we're okay with striking. And then when you think that we're okay with striking, we're changing levels and we're blending it. We're mixing takedowns. So you hit the nail right on the head. Uh, blending the game is what can really – uh, open up a lot of opportunities for you. And, um, you know, I, I think that McGee clearly has that dominant wrestling in his back pocket. So I think it's a close fight. I thought the odds were going to be a little bit closer. Um, so there is value on Matt Brown's side, but I'm circling this fight. This, this does seem like a GPP priority. It, but in terms of, you know, the, the prop bets here, I mean, plus 550, Matt Brown wins via decision? Nah, it's not bad at all. Not bad at all, and a banger. I think that's a that's a good location uh, bet right there. That's that's pretty damn good. Now, one of our biggest favorites of this fight card is Carl Williams taking on Chase Sherman. Minus 400 betting favorite here for Carl Williams, plus 310 for Chase Sherman. 9,400 for Williams on DK, 21 on FanDuel. Chase Sherman, 6,800, and then 9 on FanDuel. Of course, this fight was supposed to happen. Uh, it gets pulled on fight day. I mean, we've kind of broken this one down. I mean, I mean, look, we, we know what Chase Sherman is. We know what, um, you know, to me, it, it's more of a question of, like, I feel like this week, Pete, people are going to be comparing – do you go Carl Williams or do you go Jolton Almeida? Yeah, I mean, if you were just going to look at it on paper, who's the worst opponent? It's clearly Chase Sherman, right? Like, 
Chase Sherman somehow got him, him himself back into the UFC by just being willing to take horrible matchups and uh, just like raising his hand when nobody else will. So my dad always says showing up's half the battle. And, um, you know, he, he's always been willing to show up. So at 6,800, there is some volatility just because it is the heavyweight division. And let's just say Carl Williams can't get the fight to the mat immediately. We did see his hands on his knees. Uh, he was exhausted uh, throughout his his debut against Lukasz Breski, but he powered through that. He still scored 129 fantasy points because he went 8 of 13. That is, that's a featherweight work rate right there. That is fantastic, and he had a knockdown. So uh, I know that the the visual of him with his hands on his knees is something to be worried about. I think that Chase Sherman can be taken down a lot easier than Lukasz Breski. They're both comparable, but I, I do think that Sherman has clearly shown that's his, his his Achilles heel, and he has a ridiculous amount of losses inside the UFC as well. So um, Chase Sherman's four and ten in the UFC. You realize that, Jason? So uh, sixty-eight hundred. If Carl Williams goes out there and says, "You know what? I've been wrestling so much, my coaches." think I can do just fine with my striking so I'm going to test my striking and I know I can go to the takedowns if I absolutely need it that's where he doesn't pay off this salary because I don't think it's where Chase Sherman just defends everything I think it would be more on Carl Williams fight IQ and just kind of making that um that development mistake or or wanting to develop his game and go out there and just strike I, I know tons of coaches that make their guys okay this fight we're just going to strike we're just going to grapple. We're just going to utilize our wrestling, trying to improve them fight by fight. And I do think that that can be dangerous. But all in all, it's a Carl Williams victory for me, and I'm going to be getting to him a ton at 9,400. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the the takedown potential. I mean, it's yeah. you know we'll we'll talk at the end of the show about Prize Picks, but um, you know I I don't think I necessarily want to get to three takedowns on Prize Picks, Carl Williams. Uh, by the way, Prize Picks does have a free square on Joel Embiid. So when you're making your uh, your cards for Saturday, throw in that free square so you yeah. get, get get four uh, here on the UFC here. But uh, the 36 and a half significant strikes for Carl Williams, I think, is the one that intrigues me kind of, especially if this fight does go on. You know, say say into the second and third round, if he does, I mean, who says he doesn't try to work a little bit on a stand-up game instead of, you know, just taking him straight to the ground? That's just kind of a, a thought for me. Uh, next up, we got Cody Stamen taking on Douglas De Silva de Andrade. Uh, Cody is a minus 155 betting favorite, plus 130 for Andrade. Uh, Cody's $8,500 on DK, $17 on FanDuel, and Andrade $7,700 on DK, $14 on FanDuel. But this is a fight that, you know, and we're going to see how ownership plays out, Pete, over the next, you know, day, or day here. But this is, to me, a fight. When you're talking about looking at ownership and where to get over on the field, this is a fight that I'm looking at. I hear you. I, I definitely hear you with that because Cody Stamen at 8,500 supposedly possesses fantastic wrestling. It's just dependent on whether he wants to utilize it or not. If you tell me he laces up those wrestling shoes, attempts only a handful of takedowns, I, I don't think it's necessary, right? Like, I don't think getting to him is going to be necessary. But if he's getting hurt on the feet, uh, that could make him say, you know what, I'm wrestling today. If he attempts 12 takedowns, as he did in his debut against Tarion Ware, and as he also did against Song Yudong because of the dangerous power opposite of him, guess what? He, he might break the slate there at 8,500. So 
I completely understand what you're saying. I think that Douglas Silva de Andrade can get taken down, as shown in the past, has some good jujitsu for people that, you know, will, you know, try to take him down. So you got to stay out of that guillotine territory. He can defend some takedowns, but he can also get ragdolled. And uh, that cardio is a complete liability. So it's the cardio liability of this uh, Douglas Silva de Andrade versus the pace of Cody Stamen. Cody Stamen could break him. I really think that he could break him. But he's the type of guy that I'm sitting there saying, come on, push the pace, push the pace. And uh, sometimes he's just a little lackadaisical, a little too lackadaisical for me. Um, he got finished relatively quickly against Saeed Nurmagomedov with a guillotine. Uh, that was deep as hell. But if he goes out there, he might be able to have his way with uh, Douglas Silva de Andrade, despite the KO power, despite the submission acumen that he has. I'm picking Cody Stamen to win a decision, but I wouldn't cross off the fact that he could really go out there and just impose his will and break Douglas Silva de Andrade. That cardio and that age is going to catch up to him. And I think Cody Stamen is, uh, I think he's solid for the division. I'm picking, I'm picking Stamen at 8,500. Yeah. I mean, when you look at who Cody's lost in this, in this division, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's the top of this division. I mean, he just, he's never been able to take that hump. But what would concern me, Pete, is if he doesn't go the takedown route and he makes this a striking matchup, that's where I do, that's the concern. And that's why I think that if you're a multi injury player, that this is, about playing both sides of this fight. And but it's to me, it's always about an ownership play in terms of this one. Next up we got a female matchup. Uh Jung Young Kim taking on Mandy Bomb. Jung Young Kim minus two thirty betting fair plus one ninety for Mandy Bomb. Eighty nine hundred on DK for Kim. Seventeen on FanDuel and Bomb is seventy three hundred on DK. Fourteen dollars on FanDuel. Pete which thoughts? Yeah, I like G on Kim here a lot. Eighty nine hundred. I do. I, I think that the uh I think that she's had an unfair shake in some of her fights um and she's always going out there and throwing with a ton of volume so i like that right especially when you're going up against a fighter that gets hit a lot in many bomb so um i think the the strength of schedule to this point clearly favors ji young kim i understand it's women's mma i understand that you know certain fights in women's mma shouldn't have a wide um shouldn't have wide odds but I think this makes complete sense. This is the same woman who went 15 minutes with Priscilla Cachuera, scored 68 fantasy points. I thought she won that fight. She th- almost threw 400 significant strikes, Jason. She landed 170, so absolute brutal accuracy. But that's still a ton. Like, you throw enough stuff at the wall, something needs to stick. And uh, I think that's clearly what Jiyeon Kim can do. Um, she can pick up a, a KO victory over Mandy Baum. Uh, Baum is a, a fighter that I'm just not sold on. Uh, Victoria Leonardo, not high level. Ariana Lipsky, inconsistent. Um, but if you go and you just dive into what Manny Baum does, I don't, outside of being uh, the underdog in women's MMA, I, I don't know anything about Mandy Baum having significant success over Ji Young Kim. I, I think it's Ji Young Kim all day long. The fear is that it just goes the distance and she doesn't break 90 points. I think it goes the distance and, um, you know, against Priscilla Cachuera, she scored 68 fantasy points. That would be 98 if she was actually given the, the victory. So, um, I, I think Gion Kim might break this slate as far as volume is concerned. So yeah, give me Gion Kim. Uh, I'm not going to cross off mini bomb because of the volatility I, I spoke of, but 
I think Gian Kim's a lot better than what a record shows. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I definitely do not want to get to the Mandy side of this equation. I mean, it's definitely I a side, but. But I under, I I understand where you're going for here, and um, you know, look, Kim at eight nine hundred, twenty percent ownership. It's an interesting. Not one. bad. Yeah, it ain't bad. It ain't bad. I at mean, all. look, I, I, look, when we're talking about GPPs, that like that's a core philosophy for me is is utilizing ownership projections to your advantage and sitting there and going, okay, who are the fighters that are not getting owned? <laughs> you know, I mean, right. we we talk about it. I feel like we talk about this every week, Pete. It's like who we always go, who's that 9,000 fire that's just not getting ownership and who could potentially be that one to get over there? Let's move over. Next up, we got a matchup between Gabe Green and Brian Battle. Gabe Green uh, is the favorite here, minus 135, plus 115 for Brian Battle. Uh, over on DK, Green, 8,300, 16 on Fanduel, and Battle, 7,900 on DK, $15 on Fanduel. Kind of struggling with this one, Jason. I got I to gotta tell you, kind of struggling with this one. Um, I, I do think that Brian Battle is pretty damn big for the division. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but did Brian Battle miss weight today? Yes, uh, once uh, I saw he went one seventy three. That's what I saw as well. So, um, stepping up on short notice to kind of step in there against Gabe Green, who already had an original opponent fall out. Um, you know, I don't like seeing that, but it is what it is, right? Like guys are just trying to save a card or, or hop on any opportunity. Uh, I do think that they are going to go 15 minutes. I don't think somebody's getting finished here. I think it's going to be a damn good fight. Uh, Gabe Green can get hit a lot. He was lit up like a Christmas tree against uh, Ian Gary. I do think that he is well-rounded, but the same could be said for Brian Battle. Um, Brian Battle has looked really good, except for his previous performance against uh, Renat Fakhradinov, who is an absolute monster as far as takedowns are considered and ground and pound. So, I don't know, man. I think I'm going to lean with the guy who had a full camp, even though I think Brian Battle is probably in shape and ready and can win this fight all day long. Brian Battle probably one of the best underdogs on the slate at 7,900. Um, Gabe Green gets hurt in multiple fights. I don't see a submission advantage from one or the other, but I'm going to be going with Gabe Green at 8,300 to win a decision. Not really... You know, I'm not hating on the underdog at Brian Battle if you get to him at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I do uh, lean on uh, Gabe Green in this matchup. But, uh, yeah, Brian Battle did miss weight. Uh, coming at 173, the fight will proceed as a, as a catchweight matchup. And uh, he has been fined a portion of his purse. And then the, fi- the opening matchup of the card, a female matchup. We got uh, Lisboa taking on Rose Clark. Lisboa minus 120 betting fair, plus 100 for Rose Clark. Uh, and then put to- on the DK side of the equation, 84, 100, and 7,800 respectively in 16-15. Kind of a, a close fight here, but... Me, this is one of these fights where me and Pete had a, a little get a good conversation before the show yeah. about. And my issue with Lisboa is when you talk about since her making the switch from Muay Thai to MMA Pete, um, can crush her. Yeah, I mean it's true. I, I'm not, not going to argue that it's true. Um, you know, women's MMA is tough, especially in certain you know areas of the world. Just finding opponents that weigh the same and. Uh, you know, Tainara Lisboa, a, a two-time Muay Thai champion, um, excellent Muay Thai. Uh, she has had a career um, in a different sport, in another combat sport, and now she's, you know, transitioned into MMA years ago. But she's also fought some notable names, uh, 
um, even though she was unsuccessful, she has been working on her takedown defense because she needs to. Uh, and that's what everybody's going to be doing is trying to take her down. I even think Jessica Rose Clark is going to be looking to take her down. Um, because I don't think that Jessica Rose Clark, as much as she likes to strike, as much as she likes to hit pads, um, and, and, and show a ton on social media that she enjoys striking. I don't think she likes it when it's coming back her way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tynara Lisboa had uh, Norma Dumont. That's the name. I was trying to look it up. I'm like, I know, I know she fought somebody. I remember watching that fight. She had Norma Dumont desperate. And that was like six, seven years ago. So that was back in. Wasn't that her first? Wasn't that her MMA debut? It was. Um, so yeah, it was. It was her MMA debut. I mean, she's fought Valentina Shevchenko in in Muay Thai too. So like, yeah. I really think that Tynara Lisboa, great memory, Jason. I think Tynara Lisboa is mean, so mean that I think Jessica Rose Clark, who has been so inconsistent in the UFC, she's been hurt. Um, she's going to be shooting takedowns like crazy. So on one end, we have takedown city potential. Uh, she's attempted 11 in one fight, and that was against Jocelyn Edwards, only was successful in five. I think Tainara Lisboa is going to be more physical. She's stronger, in my opinion, and I think she's going to uh, – I, I really think she's going to brutalize Jessica Rose Clark in the Muay Thai plum. I, I think it's going to be some knees to the body, um, and I, I, I think she's just going to take the fight out of Jessica Rose Clark. So 7,800. She's my, she might be my, I, yeah, she is. Now that Pete Rodriguez is gone, she's my favorite underdog on the slate. Um, but I'm getting to both sides just because of the volatility of women, women's MMA. Tynara Lisboa is going to finish Jessica Rose Clark via TKO. It's first fight night, Pete. There we go. Uh, first fight like night has, has, for the most part, the has not been treating me really well the past couple of weeks. I, I go <laughs> on a nice little run there. And then, yeah, recently it just has uh, not done well for me. Let's get into our straight-up fight picks. These are non-DFS, non-betting related, just our straight-up picks. Main event, I will go Jolton Almeida. Yeah, Almeida. Uh, Walker Smith, I, I do think it's a coin flip flight, but I'm going to go with the younger Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker. Uh, Gary and Rodriguez, I will go with Ian Gary. Ian Gary. I, I'm telling you, folks, this is going to be chalk central for me. <laughs> I'll go yeah. Carlos Olberg. Olberg. I'll go Morono. Morono. I'm going to give McGee. Uh, hopefully he blends things. Yeah, Matt Brown for me. Uh, Carl Williams. Carl Williams. Cody Stamen. Stamen. John Young Kim. John Kim. Jump, uh, I'll go Gabe Green. Gabe Green. I'm going to go Jessica Rose Clark because I just don't like the strength of schedule. Yeah, I'm going Tynara Lisboa. I, I might like, since I lost an underdog, I was so, not so confident on, but like pretty bullish on. And now that you look throughout the entire card and it's like you're not really in love with a ton of underdogs, I might get super aggressive with Lisboa. She might be my aggressive play of the week. We'll get into uh, some listener questions here momentarily. I do want to talk about prize picks as uh, there are some things over in prize picks that, uh, that do intrigue me. The main event, um, I think it's play one or the other. It's either take the under four-minute fight time on Jolton Almeida or take the over one-and-a-half takedowns. I'd probably more lean to going over one-and-a-half takedowns, just hoping Rosenstruck can actually get up once. Um, yep. I do like, uh, I would say, the more 14 and three-quarters fight time on Ian Gary just because I think that fight's going 15 minutes. I don't mind going over eight-and-a-half significant strikes. I think it's going to be a high-volume fight. 
slight lean on Morono under 14 and three quarters fight time. I, for some reason, I see a third round finish coming uh, in that matchup. Uh, Court McGee over one and a half takedowns. Uh, Carl Williams over 36 and a half significant strikes. Obviously, that's in relation to it going more than you know one round. Uh, I like Cody Stamen over one and a half takedowns. Um, and look, if you like Lisboa like Pete does, you take the under 65 and a half fantasy score for Jessica Rose Clark. Yeah, I like that one. Um, Jason's always on top of the prize picks for you guys. Like he's he's fantastic with that. So make sure you guys are taking advantage of that. Um, he's always giving out excellent picks over there. And uh, yeah, Jason, we got a great great amount of people checking us out right now. So we really appreciate it. if you guys can hit that like button, get us over a hundred likes. Um, if you're not subscribed to the channel, if you can hit that subscribe bell. And uh, in addition to that, if you have any quick questions, just throw them into chat. Well, and of course, be sure to join our Discord channel. Totally free to join. Great community, great conversation we have throughout the week and, and on Fight Night. So I want to get some Discord questions in here. Uh, Tristan saying, rank the 9K option and who has the best takedown upside? Obviously, takedown upside. I got to go Carl Williams right there. I mean, I think that's an easy one. Yeah, it's going to be Williams. Almeida's right behind him because, like, that's what he needs to do against Rosenstrike. Now, in terms of ranking them, I, I think one two is easy on this one. I think it's mm-hmm. it's it's a one A one B situation for me. The reason I would put Williams ahead of Almeida is just because I could see Almeida just getting a finish three minutes in, and the fantasy score upside it could potentially be higher for Carl Williams. Yeah, exactly. Like sometimes you need your opponents to help boost the score, so we need Sherman to get up, or we need Jerzino to get up, and um, and Sherman's Sherman's pretty damn bad, so he might get taken down one time. It might be all she wrote. Maybe Jairzinho working on American top team gets up in defense. We've seen him defend more takedowns than Sherman, so um, in his five rounds, I'm still going to go with Jalton number one. I've seen more, and I believe in his skills rather than just Carl Williams over. You know, We've only seen Carl Williams fight one time, so I still think that he's excellent, but I, it's Jalton Almeida one, Williams two. And then it would be uh, Oberg three, Gary four for me. I'm going to flip that. Okay. I'm going to flip that just from like being a little contrarian. I'm, I'm going to flip that. I think that Ian Gary might surprise some people this weekend. Uh, next up uh, here, uh, it is out of the 9K fires. Who has the biggest chance to lose? I think it's Oberg just because his hands are down. Yeah, that's literally my only reason. He's way better than Ehor, but that's like my only reason. They're all excellent options. Yeah, and by the way, if uh, people are not aware, the Carlos Rodriguez and Tom Levy fight is scratched. It was scratched earlier today. A weight, I guess, uh, the the term that now gets thrown out, Pete, weight management issues is the term that now gets thrown out. Yeah, uh, let's wait. see here. Uh, Sam, uh, biggest leverage fight or fighters? Uh, I mentioned it earlier. It's the entourage statement fight, just because of ownership and uh, and Pete. You bring up a great point of Kim. I think is is another potential uh, leverage spot there. Uh, favorite core plays. Um, I mean, I hate to give the top two guys on this card, but that would be you know that would be my top two would would be Carl Williams and Jolton Almeida, just because well, of the, right. the, the takedown upside. Yeah, I mean you're right. I mean it is what it is. If it's the top two plays, you got to say it. Outside of that, it's the 8,200-8,000 fight between Anthony Smith and Johnny Walker. It's just – it's a close fight that I think is going to be finished inside of 15 minutes. 
So, you know, you don't need a lot to go right for that score to really boost at that salary. You know what I mean? Like even 80 something points at that salary is just like, that's out. That's awesome. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of feel like when I'm making a cash core lineup that it's going to be Almeida or Williams paired with Walker or Smith. And then the third fire is going to be D rod just because of mm-hmm. if he goes 15 minutes and it's a straight up striking matchup. I like the floor. Yeah. I had, I don't know how many lineups with both uh, Jalton Almeida and uh, Carl Williams with Anthony Smith slash Johnny Walker and Pete Rodriguez. But now I can't do that build. So yeah. uh, I might have to pivot to some other cheap options. Top dart play. Pateria is probably the one that sticks with me as a dart. Yeah. I mean, if he wins, it's by knockout. I, I, he's not going to beat Olberg in a technical striking matchup. Yeah. And Sam's over under six and a half. We got 11 now? Yeah. Less. I think it's a good number. I'm telling you, I think that's a good number, Sam. You, 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 you were crazy last week with your number, but uh, yeah, this I, I think that's a that's a damn good number. I give me under, give me under six and a half. Yeah, same, same with me. Under. Uh, let's see here. Let's uh, get some questions in here from the chat. Um, Jordan saying underdog D Raw is my favorite play on the card. I, I understand why you say that, um, but to me, that's that's more of a a cash but play than anything else. That too. That's what I'm saying, Jason. Like, I think it's going to make Ian Gary have less ownership than what people really think because, like, we're desperate for an underdog. Daniel Rodriguez might be everybody's go-to, which could leave Gary just so low as far as ownerships considered. That's a great point. Great point, Pete. Uh, do we feel like stacking one? Hell no. No, I mean, there's, you know, the only fight that I would, I'm not recommending stacking. Let me just say that. A fight that would have the recipe potentially, Morono and Tim Means. Yeah, I can't do it this week. It makes no sense this week. Like, I just don't, I don't see anybody in a loss doing like exceptional. If Almeida don't take Rosenstruck in the first round, is he done for? Um, I, I think that's more of does it get to round three, round four, round five. The, the one thing that always I hate about Rosenstruck is, you know, have a sense of urgency to start throwing some things. Yeah. I mean, the guy just – I mean, he does not believe in volume. No. No, it's like the, the meme of, of the, the the stick, do something. Like poking him, do something. Yeah. Like like throw, throw something out there. I will tell you that, like, Jolton Almeida, his grappling's fantastic. His jiu-jitsu and his ground and pound is fantastic. His entry is super telegraphed, though. Now, especially the tapes out on him, he does the same entry all the time. He throws a front kick up the middle. As soon as that front kick lands behind him, he now just shoots a blast double immediately. So, like, you see American top team, Jairzinho Rosenstrikes represent, representing American top team and been working there for some time. They're seeing the same things I am doing and seeing, and everybody out there putting film – there is a way to beat Jalton Almeida. There is a complete way. A uppercut from hell, a knee from hell, lateral movement, mm-hmm. something. So I, I'm not saying that this is an absolute like lock play for Jalton Almeida. It's a winnable matchup, but I'm getting to Rosenstruck because I think nobody else is also. And we'll finish on this question. Uh, last guy in, Anthony Smith or Brian Battle, it would be Anthony Smith for me. Yeah, same. 
Plus, Anthony Smith uh, is right now projected for low, uh, low ownership to Brian Battle, which I, is kind of surprising to me. But uh, but we appreciate everyone tuning in here for our UFC Charlotte preview. Of course, uh, be sure to uh, get in our Discord channel. Totally free to join. Great community that we have there. Myself and Pete are always in there. Pete's always throwing out some uh, betting picks in there. Um, Bellator, um, probably uh, today. It's going on right now, actually. It's probably going to be Chalk Central. But, uh, you know. One thing I kind of wanted to say to you, Jason, yeah, more than anything, is I haven't done my research for Bellator at all. Douglas yes, Lima's a Douglas Lima is a an underdog. Well, yeah, he's a uh, making. Well, it's not his. He's fought one eighty five before, but he's now he's no longer cutting to one seventy. Yeah, but he's a plus one forty underdog against Costello Van Steenis, and yeah. like Costello's dangerous, but like it's Douglas Lima. I, I think it, it's. I think part of the, what goes in that line is what does he look like at 185? You know, we saw it against Rory, and it just wasn't good. Um, I think what's it look like? But I've been around Douglas. Dude is massive. He's a monster. People don't understand. He's Dude, like, I, I'll never forget. We Remember when the belts were the pay-per-view in Memphis? Yeah. So he was hurt at this point. And so we're out and about, and uh, I see him, and I go talk to him, and like, I literally, I remember I saw one of the Bellator people. I go, how many people would say that's a 170-er? Yeah, no, exactly. Jason's a big guy. Like, <laughs> y'all don't know, Jason's a tower. And for Jason to go up and be like, that dude is big. You know that Jason's, like, Jason has a a, a very good way of indicating who's massive for their division. And Lima is massive for welterweight, <laughs> even middleweight. He's huge. Yeah. He's one of those guys, and Pete, you, you've seen this all the time. You go, how the hell? I'll, I'll tell you, you want to know another guy? He fights today. I don't know how Brent Primus makes 155. Yeah, same. Yeah, Brent's told me what his walk-around weight is. No, it's bad. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it's bad. <laughs> yeah, he, he uh, Pete, when I tell you, know, Pete wants to fight at 55. Well, I tell you, well, I'll tell you what Brent walks around at. <laughs> You're going to go, yeah. oh, damn. <laughs> yeah, well, that's probably where I'm walking around at, if I'm being honest. So, uh, well, yeah, well, that bod life is uh, in full effect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's in but, full effect. It is true. But we do appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of Fire HQ. Of course, if you watch this after the fact, leave a comment. Myself or people will answer your question in the comments. So, I appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of Fight HQ. 